episode 43 of the DNC Podcast, Monday edition. Dustin, we're back. How you doing? Brian Hoyer, Monday Night Football. Never been happier. Did not want to see Cam Newton play against Kansas City. Did not want to gauge our defense <laughs> and offense against arguably the Super Bowl frontrunner. So there's nothing that could make me happier this Monday. I mean, we do get two games. We get to finally see Tony Romo on Monday night. Uh, yes. ESPN's yes. probably a little bit bummed because they wanted him to be their guy, but you know, you get two games, you get Green Bay, Atlanta, you get New England to a level versus Kansas City, so it should be a fun Monday. Yeah, I'm really bummed too because I just the way that Cam Newton's played this season from from actually distributing the football, being accurate, being timely with his reads has really impressed me, and I'm kind of bummed that I'm not going to get to watch him not only go head-to-head with Patrick Mahomes, but against this Chiefs defense that really has kind of been inconsistent to start the season. Um, you know, I think they're they're a good defense. They just sometimes don't play like it. They've, they've got stars at every level of their defense. So, you know, I, again, it's I'm not the defensive coordinator, and I'm not calling the plays, but, uh, you know, I would like to see them play a little bit more consistently. But – you know who's not playing consistent, Dustin, is is the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma. So they they get upset this weekend. I love how Sam Ellinger, right, completes 71% of his passes, 10 touchdowns versus UTEP and Texas Tech, right? And everyone's saying Heisman front runner, best quarterback in college football, and then you complete 47% <laughs> of your passes versus TCU who, in my opinion, since they had Andy Dalton, the Red Rocket, they really haven't been a powerhouse, right? They've been consistent, right? You play them every year, right. but we're not right. talking about Alabama, right? Then you look at Spencer Rattler. Missouri State, week one, lights the world on fire. 14 for 17, four touchdowns, 290 yards. Everyone's talking about how Oklahoma has another Heisman candidate, and he's, he still may be that eventually, but... Three interceptions versus Kansas State, one versus Iowa, six touchdowns, four picks, your last two games. That's not going to get it done. And now when you look at it this upcoming weekend, it doesn't really mean as much. If either one of these teams win this weekend, do they have a chance to make the college football playoffs in your opinion? No, I I think the shortened season is going to be a hindrance in this regard, just simply because there's not enough time to make it back up. And I don't feel like there are going to be many teams. When you look at the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Georgias, we saw Georgia roll Auburn this weekend. The SEC is pretty deep. And so I don't feel like when you're talking about now, if it was an 18 playoff, maybe it's a different discussion. But with, with the current format with four teams, I don't really foresee Oklahoma being able to squeak in there, which they have the last couple of years, even even with their one loss. And so it's sad because you look at Texas as a brand, they're they're so big in college football, but they've been really irrelevant since Colt McCoy left way back when. And they've been they've really kind of been a bottom feeder in the Big 12. And the last few years they've they've been better. I remember two years ago they beat Georgia in that bowl game and Sam Ellinger famously said we're back and they're not back. There's memes all over the internet now because they just keep losing. And so um, I would like to see them be relevant in college football because I think it's good for the sport. But for whatever reason, they can't recruit, which I don't understand that. They're kind of like USC. It's kind of weird. You look at these two brands and you go, how is USC and Texas not top five programs every year? I mean, I still think of that Rose Bowl when Vince Young and Matt Leiner played and Reggie Bush and you have all that NFL talent. And when you look at recruitment there's three states you recruit from it's florida it's texas california and it's california 
And how are those the biggest schools in those states right. not getting this talent? It, it just doesn't make sense. So it's it's interesting, man. Yeah. In in to your point about Spencer Rattler, I I think he's really talented. I, I watched the game and I thought he made some really elite throws. The thing is right now, because maybe it's lack of, of experience, lack of playing time, I don't think it's a lack of being in the system because he was a true freshman last year, redshirted. So he's he's had time in Lincoln Riley's system. However, the two throws that he's made towards the end of the game against Kansas State as well as Iowa State. In the Kansas State game, it was a crossing route over the middle, threw it behind the receiver, ends up getting intercepted by Kansas State. And in this Iowa State game, same thing. Now, again, I believe that Oklahoma's receiver got held on this play and it allowed the safety for Iowa State to catch up to it and intercept the ball, but he didn't even see that safety over the top. So again, I think this is due to just lack of playing time, but I think he's got a lot of talent. So I'm excited to see how he develops over the course of his college career. But Dustin, 18 players and staff members, 10 positive tests from the Tennessee Titans. So the first team to experience an outbreak. And I don't know, I, I, I saw this as just an inevitable thing. And a lot of people in the sports media have said that they're surprised that it took this long for this to happen. Are you surprised that it's taken this long for a positive outbreak to occur and for teams to have to, or the NFL essentially have to reshift the schedule to make sure that they get this Steelers Titans game in? I'm shocked because we saw what happened to baseball, specifically in Miami with the Marlins, where a number of series got pushed back. The fact that it seems like this is the first week where anybody's test is positive, is, it just shows that the NFL's done a really good job with their safety mandate, their protocol. I mean, obviously Cam had it this week, but if it was a different guy besides Cam getting it for New England, we probably wouldn't make that big of a deal just because he's your, your starting quarterback. You look at the Tennessee situation, it's alarming that it happened to 18 people, but it looks like it's pretty isolated. I think the bigger issue would be if it's happening to seven, eight, nine teams in the NFL, but it looks like it's kind of an isolated area. Maybe, you know, I know Cam's really big on the exercise bike, right? So maybe he's just been going to too many, uh, what, Orange Theory fitness gyms and he needs to just <laughs> buy his own, his own bike and do it from home, uh, spend a little less time on the gram, but it's just the one game I think you mentioned to me. It looks like the Steelers-Ravens matchup is week eight now, and then the Steelers and Titans will finally uh, play on the seventh. Um, so bye week situation is a little bit shaky. The, I think the biggest hindrance is going to be to the Titans and the Steelers when you look at it is they basically have no off weeks after week four. And so normally when you have your bye week, it's nice to kind of have in the middle of the season, week seven, week eight, because that's when you're going to really be banged up, right? You're looking at Thanksgiving time, half of the season, your bodies can rest, especially in this weirder season. And so for them to have to play basically the rest of the season till February, it's going to be tough. But I love Tomlin. They asked Tomlin, hey, what do you think about you know not having rest? He goes, we'll play, man. We'll play. No excuses. No sympathy. We're going to play football games. We're going to win the division. And uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be exciting. But coming up on the podcast today, we're gonna get really in depth on our week four takeaways. Maybe we can finally stop the hype train on Kyler Murray for MVP. Seahawks are four and one, looked explosive as ever. But before that, Miami came back last night. They finally got their win. We got a massive triple double from 
Jimmy Butler, 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. The first time actually in finals history that LeBron has been outscored, out-rebounded, and out-assist by a single player. And Jimmy Butler told LeBron, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Are LeBron and the Lakers actually in trouble, my man? Um, I don't think so. I still think this series is over in you know five to six. I pick six. I'm going to always stick to whatever I decided the series would go. But the, the interesting thing that I want to break down uh, from this game was how LeBron and Anthony Davis were neutralized. Okay. So when you go look at their stat line, okay, LeBron was nine of 16 from the field, 25 points, 10 boards, eight assists, two blocks. But the, here's the two key stats, eight turnovers, and he was a negative four when he was on the floor. Then you look at Anthony Davis, six of nine from the field, 15 points, five boards, three assists, two steals. Again, two key stats here, five turnovers, a minus 26 when he's on the floor. Now, look, We've said this many times on the show. I've said this personally about the Lakers and why they've scared me is when these two guys are not clicking, which has honestly been pretty rare, they are very vulnerable because their supporting cast and their bench is very, very inconsistent. For example, last night, their two big guys that were huge in terms of the supporting cast, Markeith Morris, six of 13 from the field, five of 11 from three, 19 points, six boards, two assists was a plus 10. Kyle Kuzma, six of 13 from the field, four of eight from three, 19 points and three boards, right? So I've been very critical of Kyle Kuzma. Big Kyle Kuzma game. We finally got the Kyle Kuzma game. Maybe it was the, what, the double shooting sleeve? Yeah, I think. Trying to look like Westbrook out there? Westbrook or Ray Allen. But you know, it's funny. There was a a poll from the fans that said that if the Lakers win, Kyle Kuzma should not get a ring. How savage is that of the fans? The most savage thing is, Dion Waiters gets a ring regardless. Of <laughs> right? Who do, you, do you do you think he's rooting for one team? Like who do you do you think he wants LA on the logo, Miami on the logo? He just doesn't care. He's not playing. He's barely getting three warm up jumpers before the game starts. He's like, bro, I get a ring no matter what. Yeah, I think I think he's pretty bitter about how his time in Miami ended. So I think he's probably hoping that that the Lakers win. But going back to the game, of course you get the forty point triple double from from Jimmy Butler, which is huge, right? But the thing that's huge is that Bam Adebayo didn't play again. Goran Dragic didn't play again. And really, Tyler Hero didn't shoot well from the field. Duncan Robinson was was better than he had been in the previous two games. But really not you, – you said it, I think, perfectly, and I've touched on this a couple of times, that those two guys, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, needed to have the series of their lives in order for Miami to really have a true shot. And – the fact that they were able to grab this game, because let's just be honest, if they lose game three, the series is over. Like it's probably a sweep. Okay. But they needed this W and they got it, which was huge. Right. The big thing that I want to point out was that prior to the series, the one strength that I felt Miami had was their defense that I believe they're the best defensive team in the NBA, but then you lose bam really early on. Goran Dragic goes down. And so, you know, that's kind of a, it's like a gut punch to the stomach. Right. So when I'm looking at this team, not really having a true offensive star. Like, yeah, Jimmy put up 40 last night, but nobody would say that Jimmy Butler is like an offensive, like a top five offensive player in the league, but he can get buckets and that's great. Uh, But he's not an elite three-point shooter. He's not the biggest guy on the floor. And so they were essentially going to have to live and die by the three. And when I look at this team yesterday, being able to 
force LeBron into a minus four on the, uh, when he's on the court, a minus 26 for Anthony Davis. That's massive. I don't think you're going to get that every single game, but I think you see a blueprint here of how they can win this series, especially getting Bam and Goran back. So I'm excited to see the next, you know, obviously we know this is a guaranteed, at least at the minimum, a five game series. And so I'm excited. I think that Miami's got a real shot here to try to get back into the series. But again, let's just be honest. LeBron's LeBron's going to come back pissed off. Yeah, I think when you look at it, I think there's this this mental edge when you're up 2-0 where it's hard to keep that level of consist- consistency, right? And you should say, hey, you're an NFL, sorry, an NBA athlete, right? A professional athlete. You should be able to maintain it, but we just, you don't. We always see some level of a low when you're up 2-0 and a team's down 0-2 and to your point, they're just trying to stay above water at this point. They're drowning. They know, you know, it's hard enough to come down from 3-1 unless you're any team besides the Nuggets, right? But 3-0, it's basically over. So I'm still with you. I think Miami comes out determined. Game four, you look at LeBron's stat line, and the big thing was the eight turnovers. And for AD, the big thing was the five turnovers, right? If they clean that up, because those are the two guys primarily holding the ball, I think the Lakers are going to be Oh, they fine. still win the game. They win yeah. the game. And that's the crazy part is they were in that game. I mean, Kuzma hits right. that three, I think, right. in the fourth quarter with like five or six minutes left and cuts it to a five-point game. I think it's uh, right. 100-105. Yep. And at that point, I'm like, oh, the Lakers are going to probably win the game. Best play of the game, though, by far, was Hero driving past Rondo, getting the end one and doing the uh, the little snar at the camera. That was a uh, that guy has a lot of swag. Uh, he's, he's been he fun does. to watch. So. He does. Yeah. I watched this. I watched this thing on GQ. He did like, a, it was like mid season and, uh, they interviewed him about how he spent his first million. And, uh, it was pretty interesting. He bought, you know, look, it, I, I think it's awesome when players buy their parents stuff. He bought his mom a Gucci purse, bought her a Porsche, bought his dad a truck, but then here's the swag of Tyler hero. So Tyler hero spends, I think he got like 10 pairs of Louis Vuitton glasses. They're like a thousand dollars each. So 10 G's on some sunglasses, right? Cause you know, you got to in Miami. And then you're Miami. It makes sense. Yeah. He bought $85,000 worth of clothes, right? In half a season. So uh, shout out to whatever brand he said he likes uh, Dior. That's his brand right now. Um, And then, you know, he bought a chain for 30 grand. So a gold chain. Did you see when he did the cornrows? I did. I did. Uh, He actually pulled it off better than I. Now, I don't know if I can pull (laughs) off cornrows that well, but I I thought he looked all right. I mean, he's in the NBA, so you, you have that level of swag. Um, he's from Milwaukee. Travis Kelsey is another big, uh, a big Dior guy. I saw that for their, uh, when he got his, uh, his Super Bowl ring, he was, he was Dior out head to toe. I mean, I, I can't spend 15 grand on a jumpsuit. Um, but Trevor Lawrence actually will probably in about what say nine months. So my pick of the day is Greeny from get up. Who's actually a Jets fan. He had a really interesting take with Trevor Lawrence. So he said that, if the Jets, who currently sit 0-4, have the first overall pick in this upcoming draft, that he strongly believes that Trevor Lawrence should consider going back to Clemson and, and playing one more year there to avoid the disaster we consider the New York Jets franchise to be. Now, famously, this happened with Eli Manning back in the day when he got drafted. The Chargers had the number one overall pick, and Eli came out and very clearly said, I'm not going to play in San Diego. I don't want to play in San Diego. His family wanted him to be in a big market. There was a deal worked out prior to the draft, right? So the Chargers were going to take him first overall, and then the Giants were going to draft Phillip Rivers, and they would exchange Phillip Rivers for Eli Manning, as well as a third-round pick in 2004 and a fifth-round pick in 2005. So I'm really torn on this, and the main reason why is there's no other profession 
in life besides sports where if you're the best at what you do, you don't dictate your outcome, right? So if I'm a coder, right, right, right. and I'm very skilled, I go to Silicon Valley and I work at Google or I work at Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or these type of companies where because I'm so good at what I do, I can choose where I want to go, right? If I'm into stocks, I go to Wall Street and I and I day trade and I and I control my outcome. But when we look at sports, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, when you're the best at what you do, you go to the worst team in sports and you're stuck there for five years. In, 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 I mean, at least in the NFL, it's five years. In the NBA, you're there for eight years. I mean, absolute misery. I'm honestly shocked this doesn't happen more. Like there was controversy right. before the Bengals took Joe Burrow that some people were saying, you know, hey, Joe Burrow shouldn't go to Cincinnati. I actually like Cincinnati's roster, so maybe you don't want to live in Cincinnati, but I actually think their roster is pretty good. And you're going to make a case probably a little bit later that, I mean, that team could be three and one. And part of it's a Joe Burrow effect. We saw Andrew Luck go to Indianapolis, horrible situation. I think the difference in that situation, though, was the Colts are a strong organization. The reason they had the first overall pick was Peyton Manning got hurt. But we see teams like the Jets, right? The Lions, the the Washington football team. I almost said Redskins, but it's the Washington football team. These bottom tier <laughs> franchises consistently have first overall picks. Say you're the number one quarterback prospect, arguably of all time, at least since Andrew Luck. If a team like the Jets have the first pick, are you going to play there or are you saying, hey, I want to go to an organization where I'm going to have a better chance to be successful? I've always been the type of person that wanted to go to the worst situation because I wanted to be the reason why they got better, right? Not from like an egotistical standpoint or a selfish standpoint. I just want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem, right? And so I always struggle when I hear even the rumors about Joe Burrow when it was, hey, force your way out of Cincinnati because they're a horrible roster. They're going to ruin your career. But the thing I loved about Joe is that in the media, at least, I don't know how he felt personally. He shot that down. He's from Ohio, right? So this is, this is essentially LeBron going to the Cavs, right? And I love that he just said, wherever I go, I'm going to play hard. I'm going to be the guy that helps this franchise get out of a hole. And so he's showing that obviously through four weeks. And like you said, I'll get into that in a little bit. But if Trevor did that, to be honest with you, I would lose a ton of respect for him because at the end of the day, it's a privilege to play in the NFL. It's not a right. And although he is the best prospect probably in the last, at least since Andrew Luck, right? So in the last eight years, and I think people would statistically say about every 10 or so years, you get a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Andrew Luck. I think Trevor's that good that he can turn that franchise around. You got to get rid of Adam Gase though. So you get rid of Adam Gase and you, you, you start to build a culture with, you know, even the enemy, right? The offensive coordinator for the chiefs, everybody was upset that he didn't get a head coaching job this past off season. So, Hey, maybe you look at a guy like him who has been around Andy Reid, who has been around Patrick Mahomes. He's been a part of that development. You think if Oklahoma goes not 500, but they lose four games. You think Lincoln Riley maybe makes a jump? You know, you go to New York, big market. What, what's your thoughts on maybe pairing Lincoln Riley and, and a guy like Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, I think that, well, he did sign a five-year deal with Oklahoma. So I don't know the details of that contract. So if it's even possible, but I really like Lincoln Riley offensively. And if you can, like I said, if, if it's even possible, yeah, absolutely. You have to entertain that. But 
I think when you're looking at, like I said, going back to the enemy, it's like, I really like what he's done offensively for Patrick Mahomes. And so maybe you hire a guy like that, that can institute great culture. He can be a great leader. And, 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 and again, when you look at the jets, I don't think it's necessarily that they just have no talent, which right now they have very little talent, but culture is a big deal. And so if you don't get that fixed, it doesn't matter. You look at Jacksonville, they've had a ton of talent over the last four to five years and their culture is abysmal. And so guys have wanted to leave. And so it doesn't, it doesn't, matter if you have the talent, if those guys want to leave, if, if you, if they're forcing their way out via trade, then, then it really doesn't matter. So, um, when I look at Trevor Lawrence as a prospect, I think he's a guy that can overcome that. And look, you get to be in a, a huge market. You're in New York city. So it's not the worst thing in the world, right? You're not going to Jacksonville. You're not going to Detroit. You're not going to even Cleveland. I know they're three and one right now, but still you're in a huge market. So there's a lot of money to be made outside of football. So I, again, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. You still have Le'Veon Bell. And, you know, draft some receivers. There's Jamar Chase is coming out this year. So, again, I think there's some moves and things you can do to make that situation better. I'm just not a big fan of guys forcing their way out, right? I, I just don't think because of the way that sports are set up where it's a privilege to be in professional sports and be a professional athlete. And where you go is where you go. And so you you obviously just try to make the best of it. But I'm I'm at the point – I'm almost at a breaking point with this guy, LeBron James. Last night, so we all know that we talked about this just a second ago, that the Heat won game three. LeBron James walked off the court before the game was even over. So his team, the Lakers, needed to still in. Detroit Piston status. Detroit Piston status. And the Lakers still needed to essentially inbound the ball to run the clock out. There's like 0.4 seconds left on the clock or something like that. And LeBron was already headed back to the locker room. And a lot of people want to talk about LeBron as a great leader. And... To me, great leaders don't make decisions like this. I understand you're frustrated. I understand you probably wanted to sweep them because this is the first time in your career where you've been up 2-0 in a final series. But it's just absolutely inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. As the leader of this team, as the leader of this franchise, to do something like this. It's very childish. It's very immature. And it sends a horrible message to your team. This is why during the Milwaukee Bucks protest of... I think it was the, what was it? The second round or first round series where they didn't play. I think it was game five and younger players felt like LeBron James was coming across in a way that was very pompous, very much like I'm better than you. I'm looking down upon you. I'm the King. And this is why people feel the way they feel about LeBron is because he does stuff like this. Or when you win the Western Conference Finals, you're going to the finals and you're sitting down while the rest of your team is celebrating going to the finals, right? And you try to act cool by saying job's not finished. Like you're trying to, you're, you're, re, you're re-quoting Kobe, right? No, you celebrate with your team. This is not about you. This is not Cleveland where you, you end up winning their first championship. You fulfill a promise. And even in that case, I still was critical because he still made it about himself. Right. But at least you could tie it back to, well, he's, you know, look, he's a kid from Akron. He, that's when LeBron changed that championship from him. I felt like before that time, LeBron was always a very likable image in sports. He always seemed like the underdog, even Miami to an extent, right? Because he lost two in Miami. I mean, you know, in a you don't think the decision regard, that wasn't a success. You don't think the decision was when it started. Chua, no, I think people started disliking LeBron when he had the decision. I think the decision was scripted really, really well, and um, right. I don't think that was as much about ego because I still feel like he was. I mean, the guy was twenty four at that time. Like 
I'm 28. I can't even imagine making that big of a decision at 24, right? And in regards, I know he was giving like money back to different cities. I don't think that was as much about ego. I think he thought, hey, this would be a really cool TV special. It'll probably help me with like brand awareness, sponsorship. Well, I know ESPN approached him too, which a lot of people don't talk about, right? So it wasn't just all LeBron wanting to make it about himself at this time. Like ESPN saw an opportunity to make a ton of money as well. Yeah, I just felt like after he wins that title in Cleveland, his famous uh, 8 a.m. workout, we're now working out at 8 a.m. in the morning on Instagram Live, you know, is <laughs> still is, taking shots. It's it. really big for an athlete. The funniest thing to me is there's all this talk about Jimmy Butler being this poor leader, right? And people don't want to play with him, but everywhere Jimmy Butler goes, they, they win basketball games. That's just the reality. So whether you like him or not, but you watch him. And his teammates, and after game one and game two, he's on the bench with his guys going like, we're okay. We still got it. He's talking his guys up. And people lead in different ways. But at this point and in LeBron's career, and you look at this Lakers roster where besides Kyle Kuzma, this is a veteran team. So you're not motivating them by walking off, right? They, they don't need this right. external motivation because you have guys who have been playing for 10 years. Like, your whole roster besides Caruso and Kuzma, they went to the Lakers to win a championship. They know what's at stake. It's not Miami where you have all these young players like Hero and Duncan Robinson and Nunn who weren't expecting to probably make the finals, right? They were shooting to make the playoffs. This this Lakers team, you went there to win a chip, and so they know what's at stake. And for LeBron, this isn't about being a leader. So anyone who says, hey, LeBron's trying to be a leader, no. LeBron did this because he knew that is what was going to be on ESPN the next day. LeBron leaves game early, doesn't motivate team. Because LeBron's all about LeBron at this point. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's all about his image. And, uh, and, and I think it's just very, very disappointing, in my opinion, because he's a guy that, like you mentioned, early on in his career was really, truly all about ball. And you didn't, he wasn't in the headlines for the wrong reasons. And He's he's done this quite a few times now, and and it's it's really sad because this is not leadership. This to me makes me go. Those guys are walking into that locker room thinking, "Who's getting cut? <laughs> Who's getting traded because of this game?" But LeBron, you were a minus four from the field, or when you're on the court. So uh, this is not on everybody else, right? Like how Kuzma, Markeith Morris were more of a threat when on the floor last night. So. Of course, they're not better than LeBron. Don't get it twisted. I'm just saying this is not leadership. This is a lack of leadership. This is a lack of emotional intelligence, a lack of awareness. And it's very frustrating because he gets away with it because of who he is. If Jimmy Butler did this, could you imagine the backlash he would have gotten from the media? So, uh, you know, very disappointing to see. Um, Again, probably won't change the outcome of the series, but just stop talking about LeBron being a great leader. I don't want to hear it anymore. So by week four of the NFL season, the litmus test is done. We start really finding out how teams are going to perform, who they're going to be come October, November, December, and into the playoffs. A lot of big games yesterday. I think it's safe to say Tommy's okay in Tampa. Five touchdown passes. They beat the Chargers. Bruce Arians actually came out and said, Last year, this game, we lose. There was a pick six early. Chris Godwin was out of this matchup. They came back. They, they had some adversity, but they, they found a way to win. They're 3-1. and one. They're winning this division. The Saints are 2-2. Two and two. Panthers had two wins. Um, Falcons are going to be 0-4 tonight, most likely playing Green Bay. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to keep the trend up. 
the, the bigger takeaway of this game is Atlanta going to be up for some time and blow another lead, or they're going to be blown out of the water from the start. But Tampa looks good. I think we were we were kind of on par thinking they were going to be a contender this year. But what was your takeaway from that that uh, Bucks game? Again, we're still in week four of this experiment with Tampa Bay, with Bruce Arians' offense, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin being in and out of the lineup, figuring out how Gronk fits into this equation. Unfortunately, I, I heard that OJ Howard is reportedly um, is going to be out for the season with a torn Achilles injury, which is devastating. But again, that's why you brought Gronk in, and maybe he'll be more than a blocking tight end. Um, but what I what I think is is really awesome to point out here is yeah again how many times are people going to say Tommy's done right he's falling off a cliff here we are forty three and he's throwing five TDs right and he's throwing the ball downfield that was a, a huge question mark for a lot of people it was not for me go back and listen to previous podcasts I said I think he'll be just fine throwing the ball down the field does he have the same arm strength as he did. Maybe back in 2007 where he threw 50 touchdown passes? No, of course not. He was younger then, right? 13 years younger. But the eye test to me yesterday was massive. He he made a throw on a corner route and dropped the ball beautifully in between a corner and the safety was coming over the top. And I just thought, you know what? This guy is still playing at arguably the highest level. I know people don't even want to put him in the same conversation as Patrick Mahomes because I, I just think it's so disrespectful that people think that now Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback town ever um, and that he's the greatest to ever play the game. It's ridiculous. So people just keep forgetting about Tom Brady, TB12. And uh, and I think this team's going to be a problem. And they're my pick to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC. I think just as, as the weeks go on, they're going to get better and better. Their offense is going to be clicking more and more. And look, if people want to talk about the pick six, whatever, it doesn't matter. The fact that they came back and won that game was huge. They beat a good football team. I know the Chargers record isn't going to necessarily show that they're a good football team, but they are. They're much better than people want to give them credit for. So I think they're going to be a problem come late in the season, barring injuries, of course. Buffalo 4-0, Josh Allen again, 24 for 34, 288, two Man, you were so right about this guy. Stephon Diggs, six grabs, 115. That might be the best duo in the NFL right now. And I'm not talking like from a talent standpoint, right? Because there's more talented probably duos, but how they're playing through four weeks with a shortened off season. I never want to hear anyone say limited training camp, all this type of stuff, because if you put in the work, you can get it done because Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, what they have maybe a month to throw together. Cause you look at the, the trade and then all of the restrictions with COVID the impact on that team, Oakland, I think to both of us are a better team than, than a lot of people pick. They're two and two, but both right. their losses, I mean, they're they're probably against playoff teams when you look at New England as well as Buffalo. They beat the Saints yep. at home. And so to win that game after the win against the Rams last week, they've been really, really impressive. Offensively for me was going to be the biggest question mark for them. And through two weeks, or sorry, through four weeks, they've really shown Josh Allen's taking that step. I cannot wait till they play Kansas City. That's probably the game I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, it, I, I I listened to or I watched that game yesterday, and one of the commentators had said that Josh Allen has said that he and Stephon Diggs have great chemistry, and they've been clicking since day one, which is huge to hear, right? And you know, I'm always I'm pretty critical of giving away a first for a receiver just because. Look, I think having a number one receiver is important, but 
I've seen a lot of teams make those moves and it not really pan out, but the situation was important here. Like the context of this trade mattered because Josh Allen didn't have a number one receiver and he was a guy that was kind of on the fence in a lot of people's minds of, Hey, he has a lot of potential, but is that potential ever going to come to fruition? Getting a guy like Stefan Diggs, who you've touched on as one of the best receivers in football. I totally agree with it. Elite route runner, deep vertical threat, but can beat you in the short game as well elite hands. I mean, there's, there's very few flaws in his game. And so they had to make that move and they did it and it's paying off. And so I'm, I'm excited for not only the city of Buffalo because they have such great fans and you know, they've, they've been decent the last couple of years, but they haven't been Super Bowl contenders. I think this team's a legit Super Bowl contender right now. And then the Cincinnati Bengals, Dustin three, they should be three and one. Okay. So week one, their kicker somehow got hurt on the field goal, right? Which was atrocious right like you don't he fake was, an injury he was fine there. five minutes later though you know yeah exactly so they should have beat the chargers in week one uh they end up losing that game in overtime and then when you or no they ended up just losing that game at the end of regulation and then when you look at their loss against the the, the browns right just joe burrow's defense could not hold up right so he he played phenomenal that game and then they tied against philadelphia last week they were up late should have won that game as well but he gets his first W yesterday against Jacksonville, right? Three straight games with 300 yards. I'm loving what I'm seeing from Joe Burrow. The only thing holding Joe Burrow back is that coaching staff. What I love to see was we finally got a big Joe Mixon game. 25 carries, 151, two touchdowns. He's such an explosive running back. The offensive line has just been such a matchup nightmare for that team where they're not creating holes. I mean, people talk about um, Carson Wentz getting no time to throw the football. Joe Mixon is getting no running lanes at all. Um, and Jacksonville, historically, they've been a pretty good defense, right? They have a really good front seven. So for Joe Board to finally get some level of help from the running game, I think is awesome for a rookie quarterback. But to your point, he's been great. Kind of gauging what his potential would be coming into this draft. I think we both thought he was a franchise quarterback, but we didn't know how good he can get. He's looking really good. He looks like, I mean, it's, it's four games, right? And so, you know, I'm not going to go on the Kyler Murley hype train that maybe now stops because they're two and two. But Joe Burrow looks like he's going to be the answer in Cincinnati, at least from a franchise quarterback standpoint. Yep. I think for an organization like that, when you look at, okay, well, we have T. Higgins. We have Tyler Boyd, we have A.J. Green, we have Joe Mixon. We have a lot of nice young pieces if we can get the defense better because they are absolutely atrocious. They are atrocious. Probably the worst defense in the NFL. And then work on that offensive line. This is a team that can be competitive in a really tough division when you look at you have the Browns, right? You have the Steelers and the Ravens. It's going to be fun to see this division kind of play out the next five to ten years. Talking about the Browns, this hurts to say, but – 49 points, three touchdowns from OBJ. Yeah, I don't – I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like, I can't keep coming on here week in and week out and talking about the Dallas Cowboys getting absolutely dismantled. And I know a lot of people want to say, hey, look, Dak's not the problem. First player in NFL history to throw for 450-plus yards in three straight games. And, uh, you know, you're one and two in those games. So what does that matter and again, you got to look at the context. We're down every game. We get down early. We get off to slow starts. It's really been the narrative for us the last couple of years. And you, you give up 49 to the Browns who, yes, they have a lot of talent offensively, but let's just be honest. Baker Mayfield has become a game manager. He just has. Steven Stefanski doesn't trust him. 
He's limiting him to, you know, 20 throws a game and they're running the football. They rushed for 300 yards yesterday. Okay. Jalen Smith got paid, was supposed to be a top five pick, ends up getting, you know, tears his ACL in the bowl game, drops the second round. We take him, sits out, he sits out his first year. And then here he comes in year two with Leighton Vander Esch. And, you know, everybody's talking about them being the best linebacking duo in the game. And without Leighton Vander Esch, from watching, and I watch every Cowboys game, Without Leighton Vanderesh, he he's really limited. His his sideline to sideline speed is is really bad. He takes poor angles. He doesn't find the football very often. He's late to the football. In fact, um, he's not good in pass coverage. So again, stop stop talking about Jalen Smith being an elite linebacker because he's not. And then when I look at you know the offense, right? You know Tyron Smith was back, and uh, we just found out that Leo Collins is going to be out for the season. But you still have Zach Martin and. Connor Williams. So it's still a really good offensive line. This is not a, a horrible offensive line, but um, just, just very disappointing, man. And I, I don't, I don't want to even go any further into it. Cause I just losing to the Browns is just kind of a, a punch to the stomach, but being in the NFC least we're still tied for first. So, or we're pretty close to being in first place. I think because the Eagles tied they're they're technically the front runners, but another front runner, but in the positive Russell Wilson, 16 TD passes through four games, ties the NFL record. With Peyton Manning. I think it is safe to say that he's finally going to get a uh, an MVP vote this year. You look at the way he's played the whole season. He better win. Everyone's Everybody's loving their receiving core. And to me, I find it laughable because if it's not Russell Wilson, you don't love this receiving core, all right? Like DK Metcalf. He's a good player. All he does is run deep. He, but, yeah, but all he does is run deep. Like he's a good player. But the dimes Russell Wilson throws to him, like he perfect passes. You have you have David Moore, right? Three grabs, ninety five yards, another touchdown. Right? He he always seems to play really good against New England. Um, but he had another touchdown against Miami. And you have Tyler Lockett. You have Greg Olson, who is definitely at the the tail end of his career. Right? He doesn't have any speed. He's he's just a safety blanket. So he has some nice talent around him, but we're not talking about the Atlanta Falcons. We're not talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, DJ Metcalf, he fell to what, the second or third round because of his lateral quickness, right? He's a great vertical threat, but not the not the most polished route runner. And Russell Wilson, it hasn't mattered for him. Yeah, and I think he's gotten better this offseason at, at his route running because I, I think that was somewhat of a, a raw aspect of his game. And he's gotten better. So I, look, Dustin's not saying that he can't be a number one receiver. He knows that the potential is there. He's just not quite there yet. So, and a lot of it too is because he has Russell Wilson. Yeah. So I, I love what we're seeing from him this year. I mean, the biggest takeaway from me is it's crazy that it's taken this long for Pete Carroll to say, Hey Russ, like just go do you like for so long in his career, they've wanted to run the football. It's been defense focused. And this year they finally said, we're going to air it out. We're going to have you in football games. And they're four and zero, and in my opinion, they're probably the best team in football. Do you think there's another team right now playing better than Seattle? I think when you look at the Bills, we talked about them earlier. Uh, I think defensively they're elite, and so as long as Josh Allen can continue to play at the pace that he has, and I'm not saying that he needs to throw for 300 yards every game, but he he's been very strategic in his distribution of the football. He, to me, seems like a guy that's learned from his mistakes in previous seasons. He was kind of reckless with the football the last couple of years. And so if he doesn't try to do too much, but in key moments make the plays that need to be made, which he's done this year, then I think Buffalo is a real threat in the AFC. But another team that I feel like 
the record doesn't, and I touched on this, the record doesn't really show the type of team that they are. And that's the Chargers. I think Justin Herbert is for real. So you had Bruce Arians tell Anthony Lynn that he's got a special guy. And it's funny because uh, that's a week later from his statement to the to the media that Tyrod is our starter for a reason and Justin's our backup for a reason. And I, I still don't know what the reason is for Justin Herbert being a backup because he's looked pretty dang good in three starts. Yeah, I mean, 20 of 25, 290 and three touchdowns. And, and stats, in my opinion, they don't tell everything, but you're looking at a guy who still has very, has had very limited practice time, right? With only being a starter now for a few weeks, didn't train as a starter for the offseason, and he looks like he's on chemistry with all of his receivers. I mean, the fact that he completed passes to 10 different receivers, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, he's moving, he's throwing the ball around so well. Well, and I think the other thing too that people don't realize is when he was at Oregon, he had three different offensive coordinators. People don't remember that, right? So he he had a lot that he needed to overcome at Oregon, and they didn't have a ton of talent. Like the talent that was around him at Oregon was not the same talent that was around Marcus Mariota. So people people do forget that. And so, um, but to your point, right? Like he he's he's had great great chemistry with with his receivers, you know, and having a guy like Keenan Allen is huge as well. But we gotta we gotta wrap it up with this: the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. We are who we thought they were, right? 133 yards. Like, I don't care if you have the three touchdowns. 133 yards versus the Panthers? Like, the Panthers don't even play defense. They, they don't try to play defense, right? You beat the Niners week one, right? First game of the season, same division. Those games are always weird. They're always weird. But you're 2-2 two and two now. 133 yards. Are you Lamar Jackson? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all... We all need. We said that people needed to pump the brakes on Kyler and the MVP talks, and uh, and I think the fruit is in is in the games now. So, but we're gonna get into DC inbox because we haven't been able to do this for a couple weeks now. So we're super pumped. So uh, at Noah WJ Rudy sent us a question asking: Is Bill O'Brien really the guy for the Texans? What do you think, Dust? As a GM, no, he's he's horrible. Um, you look at what's going on with Houston; they're zero and four now. I thought they would struggle this off season, uh, this season after the off season with with the trade for um, David Johnson, losing D Hop because I don't think a number one receiver is the most important position on an NFL roster, but when you have a guy like Hopkins, he can help eliminate some of the glaring gaps on that team. And what I mean by that is Houston's offensive line is absolutely abysmal. They've always been an issue since. Deshaun Watson's been there. He's pretty much every year in the top three or four for most sacked quarterbacks of all time. And so one of the things he's done really well is ad lib, kind of like Brett Favre backyard football and make plays that are outside of the game plan and having Hopkins as your ultimate safety blanket has helped them win a lot more games than they should win based upon that roster. But you look at consistently over the last few years the moves Bill O'Brien has made, whether it was you know giving up Clowney for almost literally nothing, right, or trading three or four draft picks for Laramie Tunsil, who who's a nice offensive tackle, but you gave up so much collateral where you probably could have got that type of player in the upcoming draft. You know, being a GM is one of the hardest jobs in football, as well as being a head coach. There's not many people who do it well. I mean. 
Bill Belichick has done it really, really well. But besides him, there's not too many people who have consistently done it to a high level. Normally, it's the opposite. We saw what happened with Chip Kelly in Philadelphia, where when he was a head coach for the first season, they looked really well. The next year, he's in charge of all of player personnel, and it, it was really, really abysmal what happened. And so at this point, though, it's looking like he might not be the right decision as a head coach as well, because I think he's starting to lose a locker room. Just when you look at the players on the sideline, everything around them, Bill O'Brien may be better suited as an offensive coordinator. We saw with a guy like Josh McDaniels, and we I think we talked about it a few podcasts back, where there's a difference between knowing football and managing a football team as a CEO and the organization as a whole. And that's one of the things we've been so impressed with with Sean McVay is Sean McVay is one of the most brilliant minds in football, but he also does a really good job rallying his troops, bringing everybody together. And Bill O'Brien, in my opinion, he seems to be missing that edge where he can bring everyone together and get the most out of his players. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I struggle with is that if you're going to be in charge of player personnel, if you're essentially going to be the GM, then you live and die by that, right? So if you end up making certain roster moves to acquire certain players or get rid of certain players, then it better work out. Because if it doesn't, you're going to hear the media and people like you and I bash him because it's been it's been horrible. It's been absolutely horrible to watch the Texans this season. And I know I said this last week. I thought, okay, they had an incredibly difficult start to the season when you play the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Steelers. All three of those teams are going to be playoff teams. Okay, so I was like, okay, zero and three to start the year, but you probably had the the hardest three game stretch to start the year, right? Coming off a weird off season. So wasn't super concerned. But then you play an 0 and three Minnesota Vikings team who I've, you know, I didn't pick to win the division, but I did say they'd probably make the playoffs. They've looked pretty bad this year and you go out and lay an egg. And I understand it was only 31, 23, but you're now 0 and four. Okay. The odds of you now getting into the playoffs are, are they've gone drastically down and Getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins, I just want to touch on this real quick. It's a big deal because of Deshaun Watson. Because you had Deshaun Watson. If you didn't have a franchise quarterback, then do whatever you feel is necessary. But getting rid of his security blanket, a guy he had great chemistry with, a friend, a a leader in the locker room, a leader in the community. There's so many olive branches that extend from a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. He's not just a great football player. So, that's a big deal, right? And then you bring in David Johnson, you bring in Randall Cobb, you bring in Brandon Cooks, and it just hasn't worked out. And I thought, you know what? And, and I'll and I'll admit that I was wrong here. I thought I wouldn't have traded DeAndre Hopkins. However, I thought collectively as a unit, this offense could be really good. And uh, I was super wrong about that. But Bill O'Brien has proven that he cannot lead a team. He's lost the locker room well before this season. You know, players that have left uh, Houston have talked pretty negatively about Bill O'Brien and how he handles his players. And um, when you lose a locker room, it's pretty tough to recover from that. And the only really cure to that is winning, and they're not winning right now. And so I, I really see this as the last year that Bill's there because there's there's too much talent here. You you have a franchise quarterback, and when you have a franchise quarterback, you always have a chance. And so Houston cannot waste his prime trying to see if Bill O'Brien's going to pan out because he's been there long enough. It doesn't work. It's never going to work. And I don't think that he doesn't know football. I don't think there's a lack of knowledge there, but he needs to be in the right fit. And I think being an OC, like you mentioned, is probably a better fit for him him to just be a play caller and work on developing quarterbacks 
and uh, he's not able to do that right now. So, well, that's going to wrap things up for episode 43 of the DNC podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DNC podcast, and be sure to rate, review, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends and family. We appreciate the support. We hope you're enjoying the content. We'll see you guys Friday. Mm-hmm.